I mean, I think um, there's there's a few different pieces. I would say, you know, overarching, like, let me make clear, like, I have certainly come to really appreciate every entrepreneur and founder out there, because all of this is hard, right? So I just have to pause and just like acknowledge that and celebrate those who are going through the same journey, um, where it's sort of like, I feel like every day you're facing a new challenge and a new mountain to go climb. Right. And so, so there's like that piece of it. So like for me to select one or two is sort of like probably underselling They're like, nope, this is hard. And then for all the folks out there who are, who are building and passionately sort of growing their organizations, like I hear you, you know, <laughs> um, cause, cause it's hard. Are you looking for ways to shorten your marketing learning curve and help your organization survive and thrive? Welcome to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast, a show for purpose-focused leaders who want to use marketing techniques to fuel their organization's growth. If you're a returning listener and you haven't subscribed already, we'd love to have you. Also, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Now here's your host, author and marketing specialist, Stu Swinefort. Hey everybody, Stu here. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Relish This. Maybe your nonprofit is seasoned or perhaps you're just getting started, but have you considered the concept of failing fast? It's something that Diana Zhang and I chatted about, and she is the co-founder and CEO of a really interesting organization called NeighborShare, and they create opportunities to give you know, what a lot of us might call micro donations to people directly to people who need it. So they're really looking for people whose lives could be changed with a contribution of less than 400 bucks. And they're trying to go nationwide. It's pretty cool what they're doing. And the concept is really interesting. But one of the things that we talked about was this idea of just trying to get to uh, yes or no as quickly as possible on uh on the activities that you're doing as a nonprofit. Um, she has a, a background in finance. She's really doing some cool things. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, we had a really fun conversation. So here we go. Diana, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Stu. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it is entirely my pleasure. I'm really psyched to hear what you're up to at NeighborShare um, and elsewhere. It sounds like you've done a lot of work in the nonprofit zone and, and would love to hear all about it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm really, really excited to jump in for sure. Um, so yeah, tell, tell us all a little bit more about, about NeighborShare and what you're up to over there. Yeah, absolutely. So so NeighborShare is a startup nonprofit. And, you know, we were we were really born out of the pandemic. Um, you know, like what had happened was my co-founders and I, this small initial team of, of uh, volunteers, um, you know, we, we really started this whole effort with a question of how can we get direct help to the people who need it the most in our communities when they need it? And it was in reaction to, you know, this was literally last spring where... Um, where, you know, sort of like the beginning of COVID, when we were still saying hopeful things to each other, like, oh, I'm sure I'll see you in a couple months and be back at the <laughs> office. Right. Um, I'm sure we still remember all that viscerally, right? And, um, and then at the same time, I just remember um, watching with horror as the headlines started coming in, right? Where like even just a few weeks into the pandemic, the sort of like the economic fragility that exists out there in our country just became very apparent. Mm -hmm. And basically what the pandemic did was release like an entire avalanche of need that was sort of like always underlying the surface, 
right? And so uh, we were basically galvanized by this watching of our communities fall apart around us. And, um, and you know, really jumped on, once again, this question of like, how do we just go get direct help to the people who need it when they need it? Mm-hmm. And we ultimately decided to do this by empowering what we call our community's frontline heroes, right? So think the case managers and social workers at your local nonprofit could be the teachers at the schools. Um, Eventually you can imagine us expanding into the nurses at hospitals, but you know, we basically wanted to really empower the folks who really had that intimate pulse on our communities and had that really, really strong understanding of when and where need was happening. And just as importantly, where it was slipping through the cracks. Um, and so that's what NeighborShare does. We, we partner with the frontline heroes at just really wonderful nonprofit partners all over the country. Um, they help us identify pivotal needs of $400 or less that would otherwise go unmet. And then it's really our job on the NeighborShare end to really work to get resources directly back to those families to help them through those pivotal moments. Oh, that's, um, that's great. That's sort of like the high-level overview of our model, but I'd you know, love to go through more into it. <laughs> yeah. So these middle middle people are, um, are the, on the front lines, and they're really identifying uh, individual cases that would be good candidates for your program. Is that is that correct? That's, that's exactly right. You know, like, cause we, you know, when we started out with that question of like, how do we just go help folks in the moments they need it? You know, we mm-hmm. realized that identifying these real time needs at like that real individualized grassroots level is actually really hard, right. right? Like if you're the typical donor walking down the street and that was me a year ago, right. Um, and walking around and be like, Hey, I'd just love to help a neighbor. I'd love to help someone in the right moment. I, you know, you come to realize that you don't actually know where that need is happening right? Like you actually can't, what you really need is boots on the ground to do that. Right. And so our whole model was based around this insight of like, why not go empower the boots on the ground who know, right. And and that's why we call them our frontline heroes because they're already out in the front lines, identifying those needs, partnering with our community members and, you know, working their butts off already really to pull together any and all resources that are available around in our communities to help folks through, through moments of need. Right. And, um, and then what happens though, unfortunately, is that a lot of needs still end up falling through the cracks because, mm-hmm. you know, you end up where it's the, hey, for whatever set of reason, the the reasons the government assistance program is taking forever to approve your application or, right. you know, oh, geez, like, you know, you have an unexpected $300 car repair, but I don't have a program or a fund called let's go help you pay for a car repair. Right. 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 Um, and so, so we really want to create a new resource for our frontline heroes to help in these moments. And, you know, and once again, just create almost like this extra layer of safety net for each other. And this almost spirit of neighbors helping neighbors mm-hmm. to, to really help folks through through those through those signs. Oh, that's great. So how are you getting the word out to these frontline heroes? Where, where do they find out m- more about you or how do they how do you get first contact with with all these people who who might have uh, access to others who are who are really in need of, of assistance? Yeah, I mean, great, great questions, too. I mean. It's interesting because, you know, as a reminder, we're a startup, right? Like, so we started about, um, you know, a bit over a year ago at this point from scratch, right? Like we didn't have a website, we didn't have a name, and we definitely had no brand recognition or track record, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way we really got started was, um, you know, after doing an initial very small pilot with some, um, you know, nonprofit organizations in my local community, where I had sort of relationships with and whatever else, as we really started thinking through a broader expansion and a, and a bigger version of our proof of concept, we, um, you know, what I did was like I basically recruited a team of volunteers and we just started reaching out, 
Like we, we literally bought a GuideStar account. <laughs> okay. um, we filtered for direct service nonprofits um, that were highly rated all across the country. And we just started emailing folks and sharing sort of our mission and our model and our intent. And, um, you know, really seeing if folks would be willing to, to get on the phone with us or get on Zoom with us so that we can sort of talk to them a bit more about our model, um, prove that, look, we're real, we're not scammers, we're just very passionate sure. volunteers here who who really believe in this model and this mission. And, and then via that, through a lot of, I got to say, like sheer just sort of like elbow grease in the beginning, right, to get us going is how we sort of like got our initial several batches of, of partners. Okay. Um, and at this point, as we started to like build a bit more track record, build a bit more network and whatever, I think it's it's, um, you know, it's been, we've been sort of starting to develop almost like a wait list of organizations that have started being, becoming just introduced to us or reaching out to us on their own after having heard about us through, through our network. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So how, how is your program funded? Is it, are you, are you getting grants? Have, is this donation funded? What's the, what's the model there in order to, to kind of fund uh, all the good work that you're doing? Absolutely. I would say there's like two main sources. So one from a pure like in the moments when we as an organization do need to spend dollars, right, whether it's to fill out needs or to um, invest in, you know, one of our sort of like business building type of type of efforts. You know, we, um, you know, we are lucky to have a really supportive board that that we've built out through time to help us with some central fundraising. So I've developed sort of, you know, a mini, but it's a start like a mini war chest to, to sort of get us going. Right. Um, and then the other piece has been, um, and I know it's like a sort of like an odd answer to your question, but the other piece has been just really via um, the sheer power of our just incredible volunteer team. Okay. You know, like once again, no neighbor share didn't exist at all over a year ago, and about ninety nine percent of it has been built via just the really passionate and generous efforts of. 30 some odd volunteers spread across the country, most of whom I've never actually even met in person yet, because once sure. again, we're an organization built uh, <laughs> during, during COVID, which is like so bizarre. Um, but, you know, we've been able to keep our overhead really, really low as a result, because we've had just these awesome volunteers who come in, who lend their expertise from their day jobs, as we like to call it, and they come mm -hmm. in and build, you know, it's been a really interesting experience where, um, you know, I come from uh, a financial management corporate background where I'm used to running teams that are paid, et cetera. Sure. And these days I find myself, you know, running a real organization with real org charts, et cetera. And I just don't happen to pay any of them. <laughs> right. um, you know, we, we signed them up with real responsibilities and with real freedom to create and build. Um, but, you know, they do it as sort of their passion project. And, okay. um, and I, I really consider that to be a huge source of quote unquote funding for us because uh -huh. we've never been able to make the progress that we have without just that sheer power of our, of our awesome volunteers um, building alongside with me. Yeah. Gotcha. That's great. I mean, I think that that's something that gets discounted a little bit is just the kind of the, the labor um, component that, uh, that goes into these things where that, you know, seeing that as a financial contribution um, is, is kind of a unique perspective, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I'd like to think of it this way. Like I would never be able to afford the level of talent we have in our volunteer bench. Okay. Right. Like these are top tier product designers, engineers, marketers, content writers, like what have you. Like once again, we have a full sort of like organizational um, structure okay. with really 
talented folks who are working at top tier firms and then who once again have just lent their talents to help build out NeighborShare. Um, and if we were to budget those numbers out and whatever else, like I'd still be fundraising right now <laughs> versus talking to you about the progress we've, we've been able to make, you know, so I do yeah. think it's an important, really important sort of ingredient for us for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when you consider the, you know, you've mentioned the, you know, less than $400, um, need, uh, are those needs being contributed in a variety of different ways in terms of not just you know, cash donations to, or, or cash contributions to people, um, who need that money, you know, like you said, to fix, fix their car, for example, but actual, um, labor donations. Yeah. It's mostly in the form of, um, money right okay. now. And then the way it works is, you know, once we've raised the money to be able to fill a particular need that's been identified by a frontline hero at a partner organization, we actually in current state, um, ask our partner organizations to sort of do then the distribution of money back okay. to the neighbor in need on the ground. Okay. Um, and the, the reason why we do that is we realize that in the same way that we're relying on their expertise to identify that moment of need and, and you know, right, to get the, the right need at the right moment, mm-hmm. we're also really relying on their expertise to figure out the best way to distribute those funds to, to the neighbor in need on the ground. Right. 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 So some folks will literally just take NeighborShare cash, put it in an envelope and be like, here you go. Like, please go fix your car. Please go, you know, please go sort of like unlock that last mile type of thing that you need to, to you know, really start your new career. Um, so, so many different types of cases I'd love to go through with you. And yeah. then there are others, though, that would be much more comfortable distributing that in the form of a gift card or distributing that in the little form of here's your winter coat, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. And so um, depending on just the nature of, of organization that they are and then the nature of population that we help, right? Yeah, and so, um, so the ultimate sort of help comes in actually many forms, but the way that NeighborShare distributes to our partners is cash. Okay, that's great. I, I was uh, really interested to hear exactly how that worked. I had someone on the show last year, actually, who was talking about how um, people love to give gift donations. So, you know, toys for tots or, or, you know, things of that nature. They like, people like to go out and shop for the, for the gift, but a lot of these organizations have such great relationships with, um, material distributors that they can get more, they can make that dollar kind of go a lot farther. Um, so it's kind of cool that you're, you're tapping into a, a variety of different opportunities there in order to help, uh, help, people out. I think that that's, that's a, an interesting way to go about it where you're, you're really trying to get the the biggest bang for your buck, um, you know, in every, in every, uh, interaction. Right. And no, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, once again, our stance is really all about empowering the experts that are already out there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was like really um, important for us to design the process and the technology, et cetera, that would be, you know, like, as low friction, as low overhead and bureaucracy, as little red tape as possible, and really be, you know, it's like the vision I have in my mind is like, we're like the bat phone <laughs> for, right. for our frontline heroes, right? Because like, they're already all very busy. They're all over capacity and under-resourced. And so it's all about the, how do we efficiently get these resources into their hands so they get, can get it to community members on the ground, but giving them the freedom and space to also use their expert judgment on the best ways for how. Right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your background in finance and how that, uh, how you, how you're leveraging that to, to, uh, you know, move into this non nonprofit space. 
Yeah. Um, so as I like to describe it, you know, my, my normal day job is actually as like a 15 year executive at a, at a hedge fund based out here in Connecticut. Okay. And, um, you know, the, the fact that I'm now speaking to you as the co-founder and CEO of a, of a nonprofit was very much a, um, a leap of faith that was, you know, amongst all the things that were unexpected for us in 2020, this was one of them for me, <laughs> um, where, you know, um, once we, you know, that group of volunteers and I that I was describing earlier in the conversation, once we really got going and, and started driving this and building this as sort of like a, um, like a side passion project, nights and weekends passion project, I just, um, I just really became passionate about our mission. And I love the challenge of figuring out how to really build this thing to scale and hopefully right. over time to a level of impact that really matters for this country. And um, so I, I ended up taking a sabbatical from, from my, my day job, my paying job to, um, to really just focus on building this thing out full time. Um, and, you know, I would say that, um, you know, there's been so many things in my, in my sort of management executive background, um, you know, from the, from the for-profit side that have really applied here, mm -hmm. right? Because it's really all about building and running an organization, right? Like I think through all the things that um, I normally would have to think through as a, you know, as a senior manager in, in my old job, right. right? It's like everything from how do we recruit and um, motivate and retain our awesome volunteer staff to what's the next pivot in our strategy, you know, based on what we're seeing and building and the feedback we're getting to, okay, how do I go about building my board, now managing my board, now reporting back to my board, and then, hey, making sure that I get the help from them that I need, et cetera, right? So it's like every ingredient is actually not that different. However, it's, of course, in a very different context. Um, so like, you know, I've been, I, um, it's been actually very, it's been, it's been almost like, uh, I would call it like career wise, very satisfying to see sort of all the training and development I've gone through as a professional in my previous 15 years mm -hmm. and being able to translate it into something with social impact. Cause like everything that I learned in those previous years, they really all apply here. And it's, it's been really cool to see it come together and really also test myself on the, Hey, was I able to really build something from scratch in this way and whatever. So it's been really cool. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I, I just, I'm, Really excited to hear how the financial piece you know comes together in the nonprofit space because I know that that's a challenge that a lot of nonprofit leaders and organizers have is that financial component of it. And you know, one of the things that we bump against with marketing is this idea that every dollar you know that every dollar that's not spent directly on the quote unquote mission um, is a dollar you know, taken away from that mission and, and really trying to adjust mindsets to believe that, um, that investment in marketing, for example, um, is actually contributing to that, to that mission, because, you know, the more that you can expand it, the more that you can get people on board with it, then the more work and help that you can provide. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a financial, uh, mindset shift there as well. So it's kind of cool to hear how you're applying, um, all you, all your experience in, in, uh, you know, in, in the for-profit financial world to your nonprofit. That's really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. student. I love how you're saying that because, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, the board and I have debates about this all the time as we're talking about our budget and our future fundraising targets and whatever else. And then to your point, you know, like, I think, you know, the way that we're trying to build neighbor share is like very much how we would build a for-profit organization, right? It's up to your point. It requires investment, 
Mm -hmm. Right. Um, like you sort of like you have to invest and not count it as quote unquote overhead. Like we literally call it investment because that's what it's about. Right. Yeah. But then you have you like then you got to push and be tough on, on each other on what's the ROI of that investment. Exactly. Right? Like at, at the end of the day, it's all about the like, what is the bang for your buck? And do we ultimately think it will help us progress on our mission forward? And if so, if the logic is there and the business case is there, then it's a great investment. Right. It's not a waste of dollars. Right. Um, but then, of course, if it doesn't pass the bar, and this is where you have to be tough with each other and, and honest with yourself on like, was this like a good idea or just a kind of OK idea that's not actually going to bring much in return for the ultimate mission? Those are the types of conversations that and, and things that I think you got to stare at. Yeah, we talk a lot about failing fast. So yes, do a lot that. of a lot of, you know, quick maneuvering, testing and iterating if if that you know, if that test feels like it's bearing fruit or proves that proves to be bearing fruit. And then, uh, you know, and then if it's not, make sure you just get out of it as quickly as possible, as opposed to, you know, being a year down the road and saying, well, why are we still doing this? Um, so, you know, that is definitely a component of, of, uh, you know, a, a marketing or, you know, any, any sort of strategy that one might deploy in, uh, in one's nonprofit is to really make sure that you, you, you test it quickly, um, and then can make those, those solid decisions about whether to keep doing that or, uh, or to move on to something different. Exactly. And then the one thing I would add to that, to your point about failing fast and running the tests is also going in knowing sort of like what the key questions you're looking to answer are, right? Sort of like, what does good look like for a test result? And what does bad look like? Right. So right. Then when you have right. the data, you can then measure against it and have clarity on like, this was a failed test. Let's fail fast and move on. Or, Hey, this test actually was successful. Let's keep on compounding and investing in that. Right. Yeah. And I think to like, I think to have that sort of intellectual clarity upfront about what it is that we're testing and why, like, why is this an important test right now? Why is this the question we should go answer versus the 10 other ones? I think that's like also just a good discipline to maintain. Yeah. It's really why we focus at Relish Studio on, on strategy first in yes. all of our engagements, because if no, if we don't have a roadmap, if we don't know where we're going, then it's really hard to test how, how well you're doing or if you're making progress. And so exactly. starting with that idea of this is where we're hoping to go. And this is what we're, this is what we're going to you know try to achieve through this and, you know, keep your eyes open for other opportunities that, that will certainly come up during that, that journey. But, um, but really, you know, if you don't start with, with a destination in mind, then it's really hard to determine whether or not you're, you're, going in the right direction and to keep everybody, you know, really rowing in that right direction. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and then, I mean, the other thing that's been interesting for me, at least, since this is also my first time building a startup, it's the, like, it's the, uh, it's the fast part of your fail fast, mm -hmm. right? Like I always joke that like I'm spending all this time writing out our six month plan or a year plan or a two year plan. And then it's like, like, Two months from now, I'm probably pivoting and rewriting the whole plan anyways, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Because it's like you've gotten new data and you you sort of like get pointers on this is like the, the alternate direction to go or at least make a little shift and pivot here or there, right? And just like being willing to react fast yeah. um, to, to the data that you're getting versus like, you know, so it's like strategy first, but like let's also stay open-minded and absorbing of the new data as it flows in to keep on making your strategy basically a living document, right? Right, right. Yeah. 
How do you battle against the what I call the shiny squirrel syndrome, where um, entrepreneurs are notorious for the um, you know getting excited for you know the next big thing or or having something come across their path that, that just seems like the best opportunity ever and wanting to jump on that? What systems have you put in place to keep you know keep that kind of under wrap? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So a few different things. So there's um, one, you know, where really lucky to have like a very engaged board where our wonderful board members are signed on because they were excited about our mission and they were also excited to build a startup with us, right? And so like I am constantly pulling them in close to act as my thought partners and my guardrails, right? Where like, hey, we aligned on these, you know, five key priorities for the next quarter. This new thing is coming up. I'm thinking I want to pivot to this. Does that make sense? Does that not? Like, you know, I try to sort of really lead the organization with a real open-mindedness to others' mm-hmm. perspectives and advice to act as that guardrail, right? Because to your point, it's like so easy to see shiny objects <laughs> all over sure. the place. And, so, and, it's like, and it's like the answer shouldn't always be say no to all of them though, right? right. Like there's right. just like you got to have a wisdom to choose. And so there's one, which is like having my guardrails and strategic thought partners that I really trust to constantly test my thinking and, and you know, help me adjust and pivot my thinking as we go. I mean, the other thing that um, that I'm sure a lot of nonprofits also face is like, look, there's also reality to like, we have limited capacity, right? Right. Like there's one of me, we have one other full-time staff and we have a lot of really awesome volunteers, but they're all volunteers. None of them are full-time, right? right? And so like, I think, you know, one of my key jobs is to constantly be stepping back and reevaluating our priorities to make sure that we're working on the most important things and being ruthless about cutting off the ones that aren't. Right. 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 Or, you know, so like, and so I think, I think those two pieces really help me. And then last but not least, you know, like the other thing that I also do is like, you know, we, you know, in our volunteer base, like we have folks from all sorts of different backgrounds with all sorts of different passions and whatever. And look, if there's like a particular person with like a particular idea that they're really interested in, I also really encourage the exploration of that. Right. It might not mean that the whole organization is turned toward that. It might mean, not mean that I personally am spending a lot of time on that, but giving the freedom for your team to carve out some bit of their time because they're really passionate, excited about that idea. Like, I, I'm also really a big believer in that because it's like also in that freedom to explore white creative space where you might find the spark that really leads to something else that's big, you know? So it's like trying to get that right balance. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really great point is enabling your team to have some autonomy and to be able to explore those things that are that are interesting because you just never really know what's going to come out of that and exactly. and you might you might find like this amazing nugget of of gold that you just had no idea was going to be there just because you you didn't allow uh you know a little more digging and a little more exploration into that into that zone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and I think, um, yeah, and I think that's really been important for us culturally as well, because I think that's how you maintain that sort of like innovative and entrepreneurial spark throughout your organization. Right. Right. Sort of like, don't quell the great creative ideas that just because it wasn't on your original thing, be smart about how much you invest in it, how much time you put into it. But like, you know, like the, those explorations really might lead somewhere. So, so being open-minded to them for sure. Yeah. And again, I think it just comes back to having a, a plan and a, you know, we call it a, a sandbox essentially where yeah, you, that. you collect those ideas and you enable some, some playing with those ideas because that might be what you want to start to capture or, or take on, you know, in Q2, um, versus get distracted by it and try and stuff it into Q1 when you already have the plans in place to, uh, to execute on those, you know, the, those items that you've identified previously as really important. Right. 
I think that's absolutely right. Uh, What are some of the biggest challenges that you either have faced or are facing over there at NeighborShare right now? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's there's a few different pieces. I would say, you know, overarching, like, let me make clear, like, I have certainly come to really appreciate every entrepreneur and founder out there because all of this (laughs) is hard. Right. So I just have to get on a pause and just like acknowledge that and celebrate those who are going through the same journey um, right. where it's sort of like I feel like every day you're facing a new challenge and a new mountain to go climb. Right. And so so there's like that piece of it. So like for me to select one or two is sort of like probably underselling. They're like, nope, this is <laughs> sure. hard. And then for all the folks out there who are who are building and passionately sort of growing their organizations, like I hear you, you know, because <laughs> um, because it's hard. Um, and then in terms of, you know, what what some key challenges have been, you know, I think there's sort of um, a few, um, there's sort of like external, like real problem solving challenges, and then also some internal reflections that I've had to battle through as like um, an executive in this space, learning and growing with the organization, right? Mm-hmm. So in the first bucket, you know, there's like, there's like plenty of things that we've been trying to crack through, right? So there's everything from... You know, interesting enough, this first half of the year, for example, was all about us trying to figure out how we actually crack in to the existing nonprofit community and testing out our hypothesis of like, hey, we believe that this could be a really impactful tool for our frontline heroes. Right. Right. So like when I was even describing to you the, hey, when we would cold reach out and hopefully get folks to talk to us, et cetera, like that was really hard. Right. Like I think we went in a bit naive about the, hey, like it's an extra resource, should be fairly easy. It's almost like we're trying to hand you free money to help uh, help a person in a way you couldn't help before. Like what, like what could possibly go wrong? Like who would possibly say no? Right. Um, and then the thing that we certainly came to appreciate was that wow, like even though we didn't necessarily mean to start it this way, like the thing we're actually doing is fairly disruptive to the traditional nonprofit model out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Where like, you know, the traditional nonprofit structured such that you fundraise centrally and then you drive your programs. And we're saying, please keep on doing that. But why do you play this new role for you, which is acting as a conduit? Right. You're, you're acting as an identifier of the need and then you're a conduit to just get these resources directly to the person in need in a way that hopefully will be supplemental to the great work you're doing in your program. So it's not really in the scope of your programming. Right. Right. And so, I mean, like, it, it would be funny because we record all our board meetings. And I bet you if you listen back to the ones in June and July and stuff, it's like me pulling my hair out with the board being like, why can't we get this to click? You know, and like really figuring out how to like really sell through to our nonprofit partners um, and, and sort of like get to get this test going. And I'm happy to say that we finally sort of like sorted out the, the best way to approach it and do it. But that was mm-hmm. like a really big challenge, right? Because that's so core to our model. So there was definitely that piece and just like, you know, like just really learning the importance of not just like our process design and how to reduce friction, but like also just learning a ton about how this community thinks about trust and relationships and like being able to like come from just like a deep place of empathy Mm -hmm. as we reach out to these orgs, you know? So that was like a huge set of lessons and learnings for us that, you know, once again, was like really pivotal to our model and us, you know, maintaining confidence that this is the the model that um, we believe remains effective and, and the right way to drive. Um, you know, and then another big challenge has been the, uh, you know, just constantly stepping back and thinking through how do I keep on adjusting um, my approach, right, as I continue to sort of like build and motivate our volunteer team, right? right? Like sort of like all the pros that we've talked about. And then, you know, we should also talk about, frankly, about the con as well, right? There's everything from the like, how do you keep on driving toward your priorities with a good sense of urgency while working with you know, 98% of your workforce where like neighbor share is not their top priority. 
Sure. Right? Like at most it's someone's third, fourth, or fifth, right? Because they have their day job, they have their family, they have their whatever. And so how do you how do you manage an org with enough fluidity and empathy to keep on getting the outputs that you need while still once again taking advantage of the awesome talent that's out there, right? Mm-hmm. And thinking through the like, how do you, once again, this remote world where, you know, where I'm actually really excited that we're having our first ever holiday gathering next week. It'll be the first time I'm meeting some of our volunteers that I've like talked to on Zoom for 18 months. <laughs> right. You know, so it's sort of like, how do you create community and motivation when you don't even get to, like, you know, we, we don't get to do that, you know, stereotypical notion of like you're building a startup and you're in the garage together grinding away. Like we don't get to right. do that, you know, right. we haven't gotten to do that. And so like, how to learn through a bunch there where we went through you know, definitely moments of turnover and things like that in the beginning and sort of like kind of thinking through that, how do we keep on building, motivating and retaining this volunteer team to keep on wanting to build with us, you know? So those are some of the, like, the 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 types of challenges that we've certainly been going through. And then, you know, the next challenge for us as we go into sort of like our next phase of, as we're thinking about growth and how do we really scale to impact at the level that we believe our mission is capable of getting to is then certainly thinking through like, what is the best growth strategy for us, right? Which I know mm-hmm. you guys talk a lot about here. Um, you know, and then having the debates on like just what even is the right strategic lever, right? Is it us doing it on our own in a brick by brick way? Is it how is can we do it via sort of sourcing out strategic partners in a big way that can really help us step change our impact? Like mm-hmm. we're really deep in the guts of it right now. I don't have answers for you yet. We're doing a lot of exploration <laughs> and, and conversations and research, but that's right. sort of the next big thing that's certainly you know keeping me up at night. Gotcha. Uh, that's been that's been really, you know, like once again, that's part of building the business. It's been a lot of fun, but it's it's also, you know, the capital C type challenge for us to sort through. Sure, sure. So what what do you think the solutions are there? Are you are you seeking to you know create more capital to you know look for for corporate sponsorships? What are what are you gonna try um so that you can you can get to that scale that you're that you're really looking for to have uh, a huge impact across the across the country. Yeah, I mean, like the the main um, experiment, let's call it that we're running with right now, is this notion of whether or not we can go find the right sort of strategic partner or set of partners to mm-hmm. really help sort of like work with us to almost co-build, right? Where you know the way we're thinking about it is like think of the proof of concept that we've built up so far as um, as like a needs aggregation engine, right? Like we figured out a, a streamlined way to work with really awesome local grassroots nonprofits all over the country to identify these validated cases of need. Right? Mm-hmm. So these aren't, you know, random needs that you're seeing out that aren't verified, et cetera. These are, you know, real organizations with real people on the ground acting as third parties saying this need is real and it's about to slip through the cracks. Right. And, you know, and then the thing that we're trying to figure out from the strategic partnership side is sort of, um, how do we plug this needs aggregation engine into basically a car, right? That will either act as source of money so that we can fill these needs right. or act as a um, way to distribute our content so that we can reach the eyeballs that can then raise the money to fill these needs. Right. And so, right. Um, you know, and it's like, and it's coming from this perspective of like, Hey, you know, we came in with a particular insight and idea around the building of the needs aggregation engine, mm-hmm. um, but we don't pretend to know how to build a car ourselves, right? And so instead of figuring out, they're like, okay, now let's go study how to go build a tire, <laughs> and then let's sure. move to the window shields and whatever. It's much more the, hey, is there a way to um, 
to sort of like take our proof of concept and seek out the right types of partners that um, that would be interested in in really scaling out impact in this way using the superpowers that they might have, right? Whether that's once again money or distribution or or what have you. Mm-hmm. Have you identified any specific types of corporate partners or types of 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 partnerships that you'd like to create? Yeah, I mean, I think we have sort of like a um, sort of like a target list of all sorts of different types of partners and different mm-hmm. market segments, right? You can think of anything from the, hey, like, can we partner with a social network out there, right? Where their entire job and platform is about bringing in eyeballs and producing enough interesting content for those eyeballs who want to read. So is there something interesting there, mm-hmm. right? Or is it about the finding the national brands with, you know, national corporations with very sort of like local focus type brands, Right. Where they really care about making impact in their local communities, but a national scale. Right. And so, like, you know, we, we definitely have developed buckets of those types of um, those types of prospects, basically. And, right. um, you know, we're working to initiate some initial conversations. So once again, to your point, like we're looking to fail fast. Right. right? Like, let's test the waters. Is this is this approach something that's going to be doable through time or are we going to get initial signals and be like, that's crazy. Go, you know, you got to go some other route and maybe it's the brick by brick, maybe it's something else, but that's right. That's what I mean. It's like so funny that you're mentioning it fail fast. It's literally the phase one of the phases <laughs> we're in right now, right. Of the like, like right. Initial feedback and data and let's see if we can make this happen or if not great, like let's be open-minded. Let's listen to that feedback and then figure out the next path. Right. Right. I'm, I mean, I'm just trying to think through ideas of, of ways like <clears throat> to tap into places that already have a distribution channel or a distribution network. So yeah. for example, if you think about the food scarcity, um, you know, conundrum that exists here in, the, in certain parts of the States more than others, but I would say, uh, you know, across, across the board, there's, there's always somebody who, who is going to bed hungry. Um, and looking at the, distribution network for food, which is our, you know, grocery stores, particularly the larger chains like Kroger um, and Safeway. And they probably have some other parent company name that I'm unaware of, but, um, but how can you tap into all of the, all of the food that just goes to waste on a, on a, you know, day-to-day basis and get that distributed to some of these communities and to these, you know, to these people who are really struggling with, with food scarcity. And then it also taps into, um, you know, this other challenge, which is the, uh, you know, the food waste, um, Mm -hmm. problem that we have where I can't remember what the number is, but if you, you know, do a little digging, you can find how much actual food goes to waste here in the States every day. It's something like 30%. Um, yeah, I, I want to say, astonishing. Yeah. but, yeah. um, but, but being able to tie those kind of two mechanisms together to get food into people's hands who, who normally wouldn't, wouldn't have anything to eat, um, who'd be happy for some, you know, slightly over, overripe bananas or, or what have you. Um, you know, th- those seem to be interesting ways to, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm overreaching here, but interesting ways to have your organization kind of figure out how to, how to make those connections. Yeah. And I think, um, and I think I think the challenge for us is going to be how do you take an I like that literal exact concept, but shift it over into a separate space, right? right. Where like you know like in current state at least we're not necessarily looking to be the distributors of the physical food, 
right? right. Like that's sort of like hopefully what our, you know, really wonderful sort of food banks and food pantries, et cetera, are doing out there. Um, and then how do we do that in the form of, of, of money, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the, like sort of like, you know, really direct giving in a, in a certain way, direct aid in a certain way, so that we can also cover the types of needs out there that aren't as accessible. Right. right. Um, and so, so it's like, I love your Kroger idea and stuff like that. And so the thing that we've been trying to figure out sort of like, what's the equivalent of that in our space? Right. You know? Where, what's the equivalent of that distribution yeah. system? Like, I love your example, yeah. the physical example of it. And it's sort of like, but like, how do we conceptually, you know, port it over to, to the right. thing that we're trying to do? Right. So your distribution network is in theory that all the great nonprofits that are out there doing this type of work already. Is that accurate? That's right. That's right. And then to your point, in the same way, though, that we need to find a Kroger for them, right? Like we need to find that source of food for them to distribute. Mm-hmm. The partnership ideas are like, how do we act? How do we plug in our network into the source of, of donations and, and resources, money, right? Mm-hmm. So that they have something to go distribute. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. What's it like working with other nonprofits? Have you, have you seen things that do work and don't work when, when trying to form those partnerships? Yeah, I mean, it's overall been a um, really rewarding and humbling experience, I would say, because um, once again, through through all these conversations, through our you know twists and turns of learning, sort of like the best ways to work with folks, et cetera, you really come to appreciate both the um, the real passion that folks have, mm-hmm. and then you also come to really appreciate and like just develop like a like a real place, real sense of empathy for all the challenges that nonprofits go through. Sure. Right? Like our, our target partner is the smaller, medium sized local nonprofit out there. Right. Like we're not talking about the huge American Red Crosses. Of the mm-hmm. world, right? Right, right. We're talking about the folks where, you know, like, yeah, like a, a, a donation of 400 bucks or 200 bucks or really makes a difference to them and to the person they're trying to help. Right. right? And, um, and, you know, overall, like I would say it's been like working with our partners is probably like one of my favorite parts of this job. Right, because like that's why we built this thing. Like we, we right. built it to be be a tool and 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 resource for them, right? So to be able to provide them some type of relief and some type of extra resource, so that they don't have to go through that painful and oftentimes happens all the time notion of like, hey, you're giving, you know, hey neighbor, hey client, you're telling me about a need that's actually quite pivotal and quite important, but I can't help you. Those are the moments that we're trying to um, really help folks through. You know, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So what, what's been the, what, within those relationships, what's the pushback that you get from, from nonprofits? Do they feel like you're, you're coming in and trying to take over what they're doing? Do they, what, what's the biggest challenge there? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel, so like, I would say the feedback predominantly has been positive, right? In terms of acceptance of the concept and whatever else. And I mm-hmm. think where folks get tripped up is either one of two places. There's um, one, I think there's some folks who are nervous about the like, hey, us taking this on feels like we're getting to be out of scope of what our mission is, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like, no, our mission is to do these programs, provide these services in X ways. Like we don't really want to open up this extra other venue, right? Of, right. of doing this thing for our community, right? So, and that's a strategic decision in their own right, right? So I'm not sure. here to judge it. That's just more a thing. And then, you know, and then the other thing in terms of like, you know, and these are especially in cases where it's like, you know, the organization actually loves our concept, but don't quite execute is just the like, um, just the real reality of how um, over capacity a lot of these organizations are, right? right? Like sort of like, it's like the recognition of like neighbor share is a good thing, 
but it's another thing on this to-do list. And we are <laughs> sure. literally like, you know, we can't, we can't do it. We can't add another to-do list, right? We cannot add another item, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just some like real practical dynamics like that to work through. Whereas once again, this challenge of like, how do we make this as, as seamless as possible, right? So that there's, it's almost like, the, the, it's a, yes, it's an extra to-do, but it's so easy, right? You're just, put it, you're just pulling up the bat phone saying like, help this, help me help this person I can't help on my own today, right? right? And then it's also the, how do you, um, it, and how do you make it like worth their while, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do you make it worth their while such that, um, the 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 capacity that they are able to squeeze out to invest in this program, it does result in real impact for them, right? In their clients. Right. Yeah. So is that systems development? What's the what what do you think makes it how do you get that message across in terms of the ease that that this is going to create for for the nonprofits and how how you know simple and effective it can be to just just kind of plug this in. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's definitely like a like a systems process and technology design. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, there's like still so much more for us to invest in and build there. By the way, right? Sort of like I'm really proud of the fact that we've gotten our proof of concept working, but right. there's so much to streamline and reduce the friction in in terms of our technology, our processes, all of it. Right? Like, like we're definitely still in scrappy startup mode, and there's like a ton there that we can just improve and make better. Right? Based on just feedback from our partners and asking them the questions, how are you doing this on the ground? Oh, I didn't, I can't believe you're actually having to do it this way. Okay, great. Let's translate that into something that we can build for you, whether it's easier reporting or whatever like that type of thing right sure there's definitely like a big piece that we've thought about in terms of like process and policy right sort of like we're not the type of org where like you know here's your 10 page set of guidelines <laughs> for what needs like can apply to the platform or not right, right. like it's sort of like we, we give sort of like three key big guidelines for our partners and then once again we're really like empowering them and relying on their judgment to decide sort of like what applies within those principles or not, right? And so there's like definitely a piece around the how do we just make sure that we don't um, we don't violate some of our core principles around empowerment and no red tape, right? Right. So like that there's definitely that piece of it. And then look, the, then then the last piece is the part around the like how do we even in our early stages as we're figuring out the strategic partners or you know the car that we're trying to plug into and all of that, how do we just keep on helping people? Right. Like I think the, the other key thing that might make a a prospective partner organization nervous about partnering with us is this notion of like, am I going to end up disappointing one of my clients? Right. Right. We're already going through one of the toughest moments in their lives. And I don't want to create false hope because like there's this cool thing called neighbor share. And then I end up not delivering. Right. Right. So there's definitely a piece around that point about the how do we make it worth their while and how do we set this thing up such that like we can give them some level of comfort that if there's a need on the site, there's like an SLA that we can deliver resources to you within. So that mm-hmm. in the meantime, as we're working to build the rest of this out and figure out how the sustainable, you know, how our sustainable engine works and all of that, how do we just keep on helping people and mm-hmm. not uh, and managing expectations, right? Like being really transparent about what we can support and not support. And so that we can manage our partner's expectations and more importantly, right. so that they can manage their clients' expectations, right? Because right. at the end of the day, we're all doing it all of us in this whole ecosystem are doing it to help our, our neighbors on the ground. Right. Right. Well, I'm sure you have a ton of, of um, examples of ways that you've, that you've brought this all to, to uh, fruition. What, what are some of your favorite stories around successes that you've created uh, through, through NeighborShare? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll start first with 
um, actually just like a broader overview of, of the types of needs that we help with okay. where, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you notice that, like I, I keep on calling these pivotal moments of need, right? Yes. And, um, you know, we were actually very, like we chose that language carefully where we wanted to purposely avoid words like emergency need or mm-hmm. basic need. Cause like, I basically didn't want to get into a debate with anybody about the, like, what, 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 what constitutes a basic need? Right. Like, sure. Is that in Maslow's hierarchy of needs? I'm more like, I don't know if like a kid during COVID <laughs> can't afford Wi-Fi to like access his remote education. I think right. that's pretty critical and pivotal. Right. Yeah. And so the way we think about a pivotal need is really, once again, like this, it's like, it's those moments where either there's an emergency that happened that's at risk of spiraling into a crisis. Right. Or it's a need that's actually this sort of like last mile type of blocker that can really help, like that's really preventing a person from making a real step change improvement in their lives, right? And so like in terms of examples of stories, you know, on that first bucket of like emergencies that can spiral so quickly into a crisis, you know, uh, one that comes up on a platform all the time is this notion of that unexpected $300 car repair. Sure. Right. Where, um, you know, for for a lot of us, it might be, oh, the car repair, it's like annoying. I have to talk to insurance, whatever. It's, it's a nuisance. But, you know, like I've certainly come to appreciate that, you know, if you're in a stable but already pretty fragile situation, mm-hmm. it could be that $300 car repair that makes you go very quickly from like, OK, I, I'm stable. I'm making my rent. I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but I'm, I'm doing it. I'm able to support my family to all of a sudden you go from, wait a minute, my car stopped working. I can't afford to repair it. That means I've lost my main mode of transportation to work. That means mm-hmm. I end up showing up late to work a couple of times. And then all of a sudden, within like a two to three week span, you might be at risk of losing your job because you can't show up to work on time or you can't show up to work, period. Right. And then you're like, wait a minute, how did I go from pretty steady and stable to I'm literally at risk and on on a cliffside of crisis? Right. Where like, am I not going to be able to feed my kids next week? Am I not going to be able to make my rent next week? Right. And so it's sort of like... That's where that power of the frontline hero comes in because they're there at that moment of identifying that moment of the of the car repair. Right. You know, and and then sort of like, and if we can build up our system such that we're getting in resources and at that right moment, that's how we can really once again prevent that emergency from spiraling into that bigger, much bigger crisis. Right. Yep. It's actually going to be way harder to help a person climb out of than this this car repair that we can just cut through. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I totally, it's, it's, it's totally get it. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I like to use that example a lot because like I, you know, I've talked to hundreds of nonprofits at this point across the country. And like, as I'm describing this concept, they always come up with that example on their own. Uh-huh. Like, oh, it's like that car repair that I just, you know, we just had a situation last week. I'm like, yes, exactly. You get it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, you could take a 30 minute commute and turn that into a three hour oh each way, way bus commute. That probably is um, all the more money yeah. that you can't yeah. afford. Bus tickets yeah. cost money too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then, you know, and then some of my favorite stories though are also on, on that second bucket of like, how do you really just help remove those last mile blockers? Right. Right. And so this one was from a couple of weeks ago and it just really stuck with me because it was such a small amount of money, but um, it's this, um, it was the 17-year-old teenage father that was working with one of our uh, nonprofit orgs. Right. And they literally helped him submit a need, a request for $125 because he was looking to um, you know, build a career for himself so that he can support his baby. And the thing that was blocking him was that he couldn't afford the $100 security guard training certification he needed mm-hmm. to be able to pick up a steady job as a security guard. And then the $25 that he needed for bus tickets to get back and forth to that training. Wow. Right. And it's like by unlocking that moment, 
this this young man, this kid still basically, right, right, is able to really pick himself up and go build and start building a career, building a bank account, et cetera, so that he can support his family. Sure. Like that's really impactful and pivotal in my mind. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, another one was, you know, we work with a um a nonprofit out in New York City that helps that works to help resettle refugees from all over the world. Okay. And this particular story was this um you know, this young woman who's a refugee from Afghanistan, um, she's over with her family. She's the oldest of five daughters. And she'd been saving for over two years to start her college education. Mm-hmm. And um, through some, you know, just emergencies that came up and whatever, she basically had to like dig into that fund a bit to help her parents right. and her family go through a particular moment. And she was literally at risk of not being able to make that first um, tuition bill that was coming up that would have helped her start college in time versus having to wait yet another quarter, yet another year. And that's when neighbor share funds came in right on time, like literally helped her start college. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. And we're talking about, uh, you know, once again, we don't, we don't cover needs more than $400. And for that relatively small amount of money, we were able to really just like have that outsized impact. Um, and, and those are the moments that I've really just opened my eyes to, to this whole experience and building this thing over this past year, right? Where it's once again, like, as we're, you know, working with the power of these frontline heroes, identify these pivotal moments, relatively small amount of money, huge outsized impact on the family, right? Or right. Individual. Like it's, it's really tremendous. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you were to look into the future and, and see, you know, one, one to two to three years in the future, what are the, what are some of the bigger, biggest hurdles that you see, uh, in your way to, to get you where you want, want to be? Yeah. I mean, I think like there's definitely a piece, which is the, you know, through time sorting through our ongoing and sustainable fundraising strategy. Right. Um, You know, I think we like the board and I, we've certainly been learning a lot about what it takes to fundraise in the nonprofit space. Right. It's very different from, you know, raising funds in a series A for your new for profit startup or something like that. Right. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that we're actively grappling with these days and really sort out a, you know, a good foundation for our fundraising strategy and also sorting out the how do we make sure we're also staffing it up appropriately, et cetera, to build sort of like a more sustaining engine so that we can keep on investing into our model and our organization and toward the mission. Right. Okay. So I think that's like a key thing. Um, the, the other key thing, though, and, and probably I would flip the order and say this is the biggest thing, is that strategic partnerships thing that you and I talked about, right? right. Like that's really our moonshot bet for like how do we, in rapid order, take what we believe is a really critical mission for this country and really blow this thing out, right? Mm-hmm. There's sort of like the 10-year play that we can do, or is there something that we can do much faster, right? And so I think that's going to be like... You know, it's like, a, I don't know if I call it a hurdle versus that's certainly like the next big hypothesis we're driving hard at mm-hmm. uh, so that we can just like create more data for ourselves to figure out our next phase of, of sort of evolution and growth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two big, two biggies for sure. And, yeah. and it's, yeah, it sounds <laughs> to me like you have, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like you have a good board on, on, on your team. Um, and certainly that's usually where nonprofits start for, you know, big strategic partnerships in terms of, um, you know, kind of corporate sponsorships or opportunities that, that will help 
you know, help land those, those yeah. large ticket donors, for example. <clears throat> and then in terms of the fundraising strategy, um, you know, one of the things that we like to look at first is what, what is your, what are your assets there and, and how do you tap into, um, you know, people's desire to help and contribute and be part of something bigger than, than just themselves. And, and how can you create opportunities for people to, to take additional actions and whether those actions, this is, this kind of falls into what we call, um, the inspire phase of, of the stakeholder Mm -hmm. life cycle where, um, you know, with those actions, how can you get somebody to, you know, escalate from a one-time donation to a second time donation or a, a month over month donation, or how can you put systems in place to, you know, to, to facilitate that, you know, that bank that you need, um, and be able to have that predictability over time where you know that you have, have, you know, steady, uh, you know, steady donors, donor funds coming in. Um, and, and it's really about motivating people to, to take a a little bit bigger action as well as to feel like they're part of that, that bigger platform. And so enabling people to become kind of, um, either, either, you know, the frontline, um, heroes themselves in some capacity, or at least be able to, to spread your story, um, as widely as possible so that, you know, if you can create the situation where they feel like the hero in this, in this, uh, in this story, and they're able to kind of feel good about sharing, you know, sharing that with others. So leveraging that power of, of, uh, of networking, um, just through your existing, um, you know, stakeholders essentially. No, I, I love that. And I love your notion of like, how do you make them, um, be part of the frontline heroes? Cause in a lot mm-hmm. of ways they are right. As the donors who are investing right. in this new vision and all that stuff. I really love that concept. Right. Sure. Right. And it's, it's, it comes down to kind of messaging and storytelling and how do you create a, an opportunity for them to feel a different way than perhaps they currently feel, or at yeah. least see themselves in that story. And, um, yeah, and, and that, that then becomes a, a pretty, a, a pretty viable tool. Um, so, you know, if you can tie, you know, that 125 donation, $125, you know, gift, I guess, to, to that gentleman who, who was looking to get some training to a specific donor and make, make them feel like they had, you know, that that they created that, um, that they become the hero in that. And, and that can be an incredibly powerful way to get them to, to give more and, and share that story widely. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. I think that's right. I, I actually was jotting down a note on my end, Stu. I think you inspired a couple of ideas there, actually, as I think about our year-end reporting and yeah. um, and getting back to our donors. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all about storytelling and and creating that narrative that people are wanna, going to want to share. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely yeah. right. So how can people find out more about NeighborShare and and either get involved or, or get their network involved or, and yeah. really help you expand this program? 
No, thank you for that. You know, please come check us out at nbshare.org. So it's nbshare.org. Or feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to talk. You know, you can reach me at Diana, D-I-A-N-A, at nbshare.org. And I, if you can't tell, I'm super passionate about what we're doing. I, I love meeting folks out there who have shared values and, and similar passions. So please do feel to reach, feel to reach out. And I, I would love to have a conversation. Well, I will definitely put both of those links in uh, our show notes for this episode. And um, I'm really excited to hear how this expands and how you can continue to scale it and and really do a lot more good in, in the world. It sounds like you're on your way. Thank you so much, Stu. Really yeah. Yeah. Well, I love having these conversations and I end every episode in this way where, you know, talking is great and it's it's good to get the um, energy out there and to and to create opportunities for people to um, you know feel part of a you know part of a, a, a of a of a bigger um, you know network of of nonprofit leaders and and people who are out there trying to do good in the world. But what I really love is when people can take action. And so, if there was one thing that you wanted people to do after listening to our episode today to take some action to make the world a better place, what would you have them do? Um, I would say just go do something, anything, right? Like I get this question a lot of like, oh, like it's so cool that you did this. How do I get start helping? Like just like dip your toe in. That might be as easy as, you know, it's um, it might be as easy as like going in, you know, going to your favorite nonprofit. Or if you don't have one, go into nbshare.org. Just hit that donate button. It could be $5, $10. That money is going to make impact on someone. Right. Or raise your hand to to volunteer. It doesn't need to be the, hey, I'm joining like a neighbor share to build a whole startup. I'm going to go volunteer for an hour at a local nonprofit and just like go experiment and be out in the community. Right. So it's like a little bit of like, I don't think the bar needs to be high. Yeah. For how do you get going? Just get going. Love right? it. I, I went through years of like, oh, what's it like? It, it doesn't need to be complicated. Just go help someone today. Small action. Five minutes, five dollars and, and see how it feels. I love I love that idea of five minutes, five dollars. I would encourage everyone to do that. I know that most of our listeners are probably already doing things like that, but uh, but it's always good to hear um, you know some other ways that people can contribute and and you know just make a little bit of a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Diana. I really really enjoyed our conversation. I'm excited to hear what's next for you and and your team at NeighborShare. And um, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Stu. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. Bye. And there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks again for listening. You can find past episodes of the show at relishthis.org. And remember, if you liked what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on purpose marketing, grab your free copy of my book, Mission Uncomfortable, How Nonprofits Can Embrace Purpose-Driven Marketing to Survive and Thrive. Get your copy now at missionuncomfortablebook.com. Thanks again for listening. Come back next week, won't you?